couple of months ago now that um, we had this fellowship among the brothers to separate this day for this kind of fellowship. So we'll have three sessions of fellowship, two before lunch and one after lunch, uh, planning to end, I think, at 3, 3.30 today. And um, with this kind of goal to have a, 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 a kind of development of this first banner for this year, and that is the, the family life for the church life and the church life in every home. And um, to me, it was, a, it was a great strengthening as I was spending a little time with the Lord this morning and I was in the uh, assigned verses and so on. I don't know if how many of you got to do the uh, extra reading uh, uh, today. Of course, with our schedule, many had to travel here, so I would understand if you haven't. But uh, it was very interesting to me that uh, um, in the church's kind of review of, of what we're, we're covering now, Colossians, with uh, the Thanksgiving conference on knowing and experiencing the all-inclusive, extensive Christ. And this morning, the verses were Colossians chapter 3, uh, 17 to 21. Do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not vex your children that they may not be disheartened. Now, we did not plan that in the... uh, Alignment of all the messages on February 1st, that Saturday, these would be the verses for the morning. But this is how it ended up. I don't think I have to say anything. There's, there's something of the Lord's arrangement here. And, and then, because he knew what we would be doing on that day. Okay. But not only so, I'd like to read the, uh, the, the end of the excerpt. You know that there's a little daily reading. Uh, the end of the excerpt reads like this. Through our family life, we learn many valuable lessons from the Lord. I believe that the angels are observing to see whether or not we live out Christ in our family life. It is not as difficult to live out Christ in the church as it is to live him out at home. But how wonderful it is for a brother or sister to express Christ in his or her married life. No brother or sister in the Lord's recovery should aspire to live like a monk or a nun. At the right time, the brothers and sisters should marry and then learn through the experiences of married life to express Christ in their human living. So uh, when I saw that this this uh, little ministry excerpt was connected to the families, um, I, I, I did feel today's today's time is really of the Lord. Uh, that the Lord has something for his church, for our, for our going on. And, uh, you know, uh, as we've been covering this matter in, in Colossians, uh, we've, we, we have touched upon, uh, especially one of the, one of these messages from Thanksgiving, message number two, was specifically on this matter of the land. And, uh, we mentioned there how when Paul was writing, 
this book, he had a kind of a picture in front of him of the Old Testament. Okay, we're, we, we're, we're kind of in the midst of that. Then we had the, uh, the training on the book of Deuteronomy, which we will cover, study with the whole church in the, in the weeks and months to come. And of course, that the book of Deuteronomy is, uh, its placing in the scripture is, is just before, just before the children of Israel go into the good land. It's the preparation. And um, anyway, as we've been in these uh, matters and in these uh, various por- portions of Scripture, uh, something just became very uh, clear to me um, that I think is very relevant to our, to our fellowship today. And that is that <clears throat> uh, we, know, we know that uh, everything in the Old Testament is a picture, is a type for the New Testament church, for our learning. And even the matter of families, even the matter of raising our children, there are things there that we can observe and learn from. There are principles that we can draw, draw from that are relevant to the New Testament, to the New Testament church. And uh, saints, I think you would see that from beginning to end, from the beginning to the end in the Old Testament, actually in the whole Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, you can see two battles or two struggles. Two struggles. The first is a battle concerning the land. Concerning the land. You know, the land, of course, is so crucial to God's accomplishing his purpose with the children of Israel. And that's a type. That's a picture of our experience of Christ, because Colossians says that we are rooted and grounded in him and that we should walk in him as our sphere and as our land. But then the next, the next verse, that's Colossians 2, 6, and 7. The next verse says, Beware that no one carries you off as spoil through his philosophy and, and empty deceit. Well, in this book, Deuteronomy, at the end, Moses has his strong warnings, his strong warnings. And uh, at the end of the book, he tells them, I have put before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Therefore, choose life. What's the next sentence? What's the next portion? Therefore, choose life. That who? You, you, and your seed shall live. You and your seed. You and your descendants. That's what it's saying. That you and and your descendants. The battle is not just over us. There's a second battle. There's a second battle. It's not only a battle over the children of Israel staying on the land. Because if you, if you, if you trace the history of God's people, Actually, from the beginning, from the very beginning in Genesis, what, what do you see? God creates the heavens and the earth, and then before, before nearly anything happens, the whole earth is gone. It's underwater. What does that mean? That we're separated from, from the land. Of course, on the third day, the, God made the dry land to appear, and eventually 
life started again on, on the earth and God created man and so on. But, but <clears throat> man's history is a history of being on the land and being taken away from the land. And, and that's a picture of our experience today in the New Testament. <clears throat> then uh, God calls Abraham. What did God tell Abraham? What did, what did, I should say, what did God promise to Abraham? Actually, God promised two things to Abraham. The first is land. And the second was what? A seed. Of course, of course, eventually that promise, that seed, is Christ, right? Is Christ. Uh, but, but, he also says that your descendants will be like the stars and like the sand. So it is his descendants, descendant. It has its fulfillment in God's people, and that promise has its fulfillment in Christ. But we can see that actually there's a battle from start to finish over the land and over the seed. That is, over the land, over our experience of Christ as our land. And there is a battle over the second generation of God's people. From start to finish, you can, you can see you can see this battle. Actually, even from the first, second generation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, who was the first, second generation? That's Cain and Abel. Even from there, you could see the tactic of Satan was different than the first generation. He made a way in, actually through sibling rivalry through jealousy he came the enemy came in in that's genesis that's genesis 4 in exodus 1 we see there is this battle you know the 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 history of of in in, in genesis when when genesis finishes god's people number only 70 souls 70 70 souls but when you turn the page to Exodus 1, how many are God's people? We don't have a set number, but it could be. It could be, estimates are it could be 2 million. That's based on the army and their age uh, between 20 and, you know, 20 and up being 600,000 plus, 600, plus. So the estimate is about 2 million. Hundreds of years pass between the end of, of Genesis, beginning of Exodus. And there, now remember, remember, everything in the Old Testament related to Israel is a type, right? Usually, usually we all, the believers, Christians, most Christians, including ourselves, we usually take only selective things, like the Passover. Well, even, even in this story, we might take Egypt as the world. We take Pharaoh as the Satan. We take we take um, we take um, the Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea, the manna, um, the tabernacle. But there's something else in chapter one that I, I'd like to highlight uh, that is very relevant 
especially to the families or to the parents. And that is Satan's, or the Pharaoh's, the Pharaoh's fear. The Pharaoh's being threatened. You know, in Exodus 1, the Pharaoh is anxious. Why is the Pharaoh anxious? The Pharaoh's anxious because God's people grew too much. Actually, he's anxious over the next generation of God's people. He's anxious over the increase of God's people. And we know, we know that the increase of the church in the New Testament has two major sources. Two sources. That is, from outside we preach the gospel and people come in. And then from inside we raise up our children. And actually, we have a number here in this audience that got saved into the church life in the last 15 or 20 years. But very interesting, many when they came in were single. But after some time, you got married. Now the church is caring for your children, even as teenagers, even as teenagers. So even the increase from outside ends up with increase from inside. So really, we have to pay attention to the increase from inside. And the Pharaoh was nervous. Do you see, brothers and sisters, this shows us that Satan fears. Satan is threatened by your children. He's threatened by your children standing with God. He's threatened by this. So there is a kind of a tactic. There is a scheme. And actually this scheme is kind of, has two prongs. One is toward the older generation. And that is to tire them out. I think we all know this. We teach this, these stories to the, to the children, uh, either at home or in our children's meeting. To tire the older generation out so they don't have energy to worship Jehovah. He just wants to suck their energy. Okay. But the tactic toward the younger generation, very different. Actually, more evil. More evil. More insidious. What is that? Kill. To take away the life of the second generation. At least half of them. At least half of them. That is, if it's a, a, a baby is born, and if it's a male, then you kill it. If that plan had been successful, of course it wasn't, because of two sisters, praise the Lord, sisters. Actually, today we'll probably talk a lot about the function of the sisters, even though the sisters' conference is still coming. We have a lot to say for the sisters. The moms and the grandmas are very important in God's economy. Yeah. But if that scheme had been successful, then it would have wiped out the boys. The girls grow up. Eventually, whom would they marry? They're left only to marry Egyptians. And in one generation, the pure Israel would have been wiped out. It would have been a mixture. So death and mixture. Death and mixture. 
Actually, just yesterday I read another uh, article concerning the increase of the suicide rate in this country. It's, 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 it's just uh, appalling. It's just appalling. And uh, very interesting, among uh, the, 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 re- the uh, report I read, even among certain ethnicities, the different rates of uh, people who consider suicide. Actually, that was the focus of this uh, article. Uh, of course, quite a number of you work in the public school system, so you may have seen this article. This was actually from from uh, a magazine that sent out to the to the teachers or people in the teachers' union, <clears throat> and the it was a call to action, a call to action of parents and teachers to be able to um, to. Uh, uh, observe and recognize the 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 signs when someone uh, is considering suicide, and to encourage a listening ear, not a lot, not to encourage alarm, but to encourage a listening ear, to have a heart of compassion, and then and then to learn to learn in a sense. You might call it psychological CPR, to, to get this person to the proper help, to keep them okay until they get the proper help. Because often we, we are not able to provide the proper help. And the proper help is not all spiritual. It's not all spiritual. We need to, we need to learn these kind, of, these kind of things. Anyway, I, I feel like this, what we're seeing in our society today, and, and incidentally, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. In the West, in the East. Certain, certain countries, I, I'm quite burdened. Uh, actually, I just looked at the, uh, the, the, the increase of the rate of suicide in Korea. It's alarming, the, the, the increase. Um, so burdened. So burdened for, for the Korean community in New York. And you, you, you do know, we, we purchased Hall 3, right? Hall 3, from, a, from a, a group, a Christian group that was of Korean believers. And we also purchased KPCC, Camp Penuel, from a consortium of uh, uh, Korean churches. Uh, why? Are they not able to sustain their camp ministry? Why? That shows that they're losing the second generation. They're losing the second generation. We need to pray for this. Not just among ourselves, but all our Christian brothers and sisters. The second generation among all our our believing brothers and sisters. We need to pray. The enemy, the enemy is on the attack. But do you see the principle has been there since Exodus? The principle has been there since, actually, Genesis 4. The, the attempt to wipe out at least half of God's people uh, in the second generation. So this has been there unveiled to us. We need, we need to rise up and, and pay attention to this battle. And, and throughout the course of the, 
Old Testament, you can see this. Actually, recently, I was I was so uh, I was struck by by, by this um, the behavior of some of the kings uh, uh, among God's people. These are some of the kings, starting with Solomon. Starting with Solomon, you know, in in um, the history of Israel, uh, the high peak, the high peak, is First Kings chapter eight. Do you know what occurs there? That is the dedication of the temple. The dedication of the temple. This is after the time of Joshua. All the battles. They take the land. The allotment. Of, uh, to all the to all the tribes, and uh, of course the judges, dark history. But then the Lord raises up Samuel, and then raises up David. Uh, of course, Saul's really the first king, but David, a man after his heart, and he wanted to build out of his love for the Lord. He wanted to build something for uh, Jehovah, a house for Jehovah. And he could not because of too much bloodshed. But he prepared everything, and the Lord gave him this son, Solomon. First Kings chapter 8. Solomon dedicates the temple with a marvelous prayer. I know many of you are familiar with that prayer. You know, in that prayer, he says, If your children disobey and are carried off, but they look to this house, if they look to this land, if they look to this city, Answer their prayers. Oh, wonderful. And as he's praying, the glory fills the house. The glory fills the house. That's chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we're told that his heart, because of so many wives, so many wives, mixture came in. Mixture came in. And particularly, these women... They worshipped the Gentile idols. And two are mentioned there. Two are mentioned there. And I, I know in your, in your reading of the Old Testament, we come upon these names. Uh, I don't know about you. I never spent too much time with, with these names. I just know they're there. But in our recent semi-annual training, one of them was highlighted by one of the brothers. That is the Ashtoreth. The Ashtoreth, which is the female deity. A female deity. But that's not the one I want to talk about. I want to talk about the other one. Do you know this name? Molech? Molech. His name pops up. The name of this idol pops up. Constantly. But I was really struck by the fact that Solomon did something to erect an altar to this so-called God. Small g. This idol. Both the Ashtoreth and Molech in 1 Kings 11. Now, you may say, this is a fellowship for parents. What does this have to do with Ashtoreth and Molech? Well, you know, this god, so-called, of Molech, <clears throat> what he is known for, what that thing is known for, and you'll, 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 I think if you've read the Old Testament a few times, you're familiar with this phrase, that they made the children pass through the fire. They made their children pass through the fire to Molech. So this was, this was an idol that they had child sacrifice. 
Now, there's some question of different practices, whether they would just offer up, whether they would, you know, offer up the baby totally, or they would just cause the child to pass through fire. But anyway, it is, it is child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. Saints, why does this appear even in the Word? Why is this there? We need to consider. Why would the Lord, in His sovereignty, as the prophets were writing the Old Testament and putting down, and we say all Scripture is God-breathed. And what is this? Why is this there? Do you see, there is a battle over all the children. And, and it's possible, and it's possible that unknowingly, unknowingly, some of us may have made our children pass through the fire. That is, we sacrifice them. We sacrifice them in the wrong way. We sacrifice. We didn't care for them in the proper way. And, and to me, it's so alarming, alarming, that even the leaders of God's people would, would, would take the lead to such, in, in, in such a way. There's something here, brothers and sisters. I feel there's something here we need to pray concerning. That there would be, that there would be nothing of this kind of nature um, unknowingly, unconsciously, by any of the families. As we're raising our children, we would, we would not, because of the trends of the age, unknowingly offer them to the world. You know, in, in Colossians chapter 2, maybe we could, uh, we could look at that. Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 8. If we could look at that together. This is just after these wonderful verses that say, As therefore you have received the Christ, Jesus the Lord, walk in him. That's verse 6. 7. Having been rooted and being built up in him and being established in the faith, even as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's 7. Let's read 8 together. Beware. Here, as we mentioned, there is this picture. Beware that no one carries you off. That, that picture of being carried away from the land. In the church life, in our church life, it's possible to be taken away from Christ. If that occurs, it's also possible our seed is affected. Our children are affected. You know, we have... We have the full spectrum of families in the church life here with such a large number. Of course, we have, we have brand new parents. We have brand new parents. We have parents with pre, pre, preschool age, elementary age, and all the way through middle school, high school. We have all the way through grandparents, even great-grandparents, maybe some great-great-grandparents. We have the full spectrum and we also have uh, uh, the full spectrum of Christian experience. And that is some who have been in the church life 40 or 50 years, all the way to new ones who were just baptized in the most recent months. 
all with children or grandchildren. So <clears throat> those of us with experience, we need to consider in our perfecting of new ones, one area, one area that we have to pay attention to, not just encouraging them about their the practices in their personal Christian life. We should also be burdened for the family life. We should help them, we should help them to have a proper family life in Christ. Now here, this verse mentions a few things. It says, Beware that no one carries you off as spoil through his philosophy. Saints, there is a philosophy. There is a national philosophy of raising children. There's a cultural philosophy. And then every family, even, even within a country, different regions have their philosophy. In, in this country, there's a New York philosophy, there's a Texan philosophy, there's a California philosophy. We, well, let, me, let me finish the verse, it's very possible we are, have, we are following those philosophies rather than raising our children according to Christ. Okay, continuing. An empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the elements of the world, and not according to Christ. It's very possible that our parenting philosophy is shaped merely by tradition. Now, of course, all of us, all of us would probably feel, or I would say, maybe I would rather say, the majority of us would feel that our culture that has good things. And of course culture has good things. That's how it's propagated. And we shape our raising of our children according to how we were raised. Many good things there. But I would say still, be careful. It's best, it's best that we would pass all those things through this kind of standard or scale, according to Christ. According to Christ. You know, there is a, there is a kind of pressure, in, in, I think in this city, there is a pressure, even from pre-K, even from pre-K, to place them, the children, in certain situations so that they can get into a particular elementary school. So that... They could get into a particular high school so that they can get into a particular university or group of universities. There's, there's this kind of thought. Is that good? Of course it's good. But I would say, before just doing that as a kind of tradition, as an element of the world, it is good if mommy and daddy would take this to the Lord even even the enrollment in preschool and pass it through Christ. Pass it through Christ. You know, I've gotten in this last year, a little year, a little bit plus, I don't know how many uh, emails from all four corners of the country and in, in the middle, uh, especially Texas, Concerning, concerning the curriculum, the curriculum of some of the schools and the involvement 
of the uh, LGBT agenda. This is something that today we, we have to face. Um, parents from the West Coast, Northwest, Texas, Boston, down in the Southeast, everywhere. You would think in some places because, like, for example, the Bible Belt, the Christian influence, but would not have so much problem. Actually, dear saints, this is the age we are, we are in. And sometimes the best, so-called best schools, end up being the most liberal ones. So we must, we must pass all our uh, um, uh, decision-making through Christ. We need, to, we need to have, we need to be vigilant. We need to have our eyes opened. Uh, be careful of the worldly trend. Be careful of the worldly trend. Even in these areas, even from pre-K age, these are things that maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we would only talk when we were, when we were having fellowship with the parents of the high schoolers. But today, we have to bring this into the realm of our, of our fellowship. But we would just encourage you, saints, encourage you, beware, beware. The battle is not just for us or toward us. The battle is regarding our seed, regarding our next generation. Okay. Um, in the, in the special, uh, meeting that we had, the semi-annual celebration, I think it was Jan, the 12th, is that right? January 12th. Uh, we brought out something, um, just very quickly. We'd like to spend more time on this, both in this session and in the next. And that is the family being the unit of salvation. The family being the unit of salvation. Actually, we presented these four things on January 12th. The family is the unit of salvation. The family is the unit of service. The family is the unit of rejoicing. That is, of enjoying the Lord. Enjoying the riches of the, 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 the overflow of the riches of the land. And the family is the unit of church life. That's from the New Testament in uh, Acts chapter 2. That, that first day, the day of Pentecost. In the morning, the Spirit is poured out. And the church is really formed officially. Later that day, they're meeting from house to house. And we should realize, actually, that just means family after family. The church life is meant to be in our family, in our household. And I just want to point out a little bit the, the strong, consistent pattern or examples in the scriptures. And I hope that just even mentioning some of them, the Lord would have a way to speak to us because we're familiar with, uh, with many of these. You know, uh, we mentioned uh, Abraham. With Abraham, the, the verse that we read, to me it's, it's, it's just so interesting that it says, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Abraham, in Abraham, Father Abraham, in you shall all the 
families, not the people of the earth, not the people, not individuals, but families. You know, this is repeated quite a number of times in both the Old and New Testament. And sometimes, sometimes it says in you, actually most times it says, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But the first time it says families. And actually, nations are made of families. You know, I, I really would recommend the life study of Titus in this regard. In that life study, uh, Brother Lee brings out that uh, the church, the family, the society, and the government are all stressed. But the building block is the family. The family is the key both for the church and for society. And today it's very clear when we look at the landscape around us that the enemy over the last 50 years has just attacked the fabric of the family in our society. We need to recover families. We need to recover families. And, and new families among us. New families among us. Oh, how we need to surround them and strengthen them that from the beginning, from the beginning, they would not allow the enemy to have any ground. So that as they're going on and bringing children into the family life, oh, the children would have such a pro good covering, a household with an atmosphere of love. Later on, actually, after, after the lunchtime, uh, in the third session, we plan to show you some slides with some statistics and some findings of various uh, uh, surveys. Uh, because, saints, we're not the only ones, we're not the only ones among Christians who are battling with the keeping of our second and third generation. You know, in the churches in general, in the local churches in North America, generally we lose about half of our second and third generation. Once the children get to their late teens and 20s, about half don't have much heart for, for the Lord. And, and actually many Christian groups experience something like this and there have been studies done. And we'd like to present to you some of the findings of those studies because we found some of the findings actually match our experience. And maybe we could learn some things uh, together. But that will be after, after the, the lunchtime. But one thing is certain, and this is echoed in, that, in, in one of those surveys. The biggest key is parents and grandparents. The biggest key whether the children go on with the Lord or not, is the parents and the grandparents. It's family. So, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. But even before Abraham, we can see in the story of Noah. You know, uh, when, we, when we teach the story of Noah, usually we talk about Noah and the ark. Right? Noah and the ark. You can find books about Noah and the ark. But how many went into the ark? Actually, eight. A family went into the ark. Do you realize Noah 
built something to save his family. And that is what we are doing. And that's what every parent, should, the, the realization every parent should have. I'm building something for my family. I'm not, I'm not just in the church life myself. I am building. I am building. We talk about the building of the church. But do you realize your building of the church is actually building something to save your family? That should be our strong realization. And of course, in, in Noah's story, something very precious that you see is not only his own children, not only his own children, eventually those three daughters-in-law were gained, and his increase, and I, I don't know if this is where Brother Nee or Brother Lee got this thought from about 50% of our increase from inside and from outside, but the story of Noah, that was brother and sister Noah, that was their experience. Their, they gained their three children for the Lord, and then they gained three others for the Lord. Three, of course, friends. It started as friends. It always starts as friends, no? And eventually they got married. But consider, think about this. That day when Jehovah shut the door, you know, you know, the, in the story of Noah, Jehovah shut the door. Do you realize that the families of those three girls were outside? The screams, don't you think eventually there were screams from outside? And, but Jehovah shut the door. It was, too, it was too late. But among those screams were the relatives of, of those three girls. They gained some from the world. But how was it that those three girls stood with Noah's family? That to me is a mystery. That to me is a mystery. But I do have a feeling that it had a lot to do with Mrs. Noah. I, 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 I do feel. Uh, you know, her name is not mentioned. Her name is not mentioned. But, but, oh, in the kingdom or in the New Jerusalem, I would like to sit with her and the three girls to know the real story. There's more behind that, saints. There's more behind that. This couple somehow gained their children to stand with dad's vision, to follow dad's vision. Don't you think the mother had a lot to do with that? Don't you think that they heard much ridicule over those years about what Noah was doing? But somehow they stood with their father. Actually, they stood with their family heritage. They stood with their family heritage. Because with Noah, Noah did not drop from the sky. Noah was not the first one following Jehovah. Noah, he inherited all the godly ways of his forefathers. You know, when we're introduced to Noah, it says, Noah walked with God. Noah walked with... Was he the first one that walked with God? No, of course not. It was his what? Great? Great? Great, great. Grandfather. And incidentally, incidentally, Methuselah, that's Enoch's son, was a contemporary, not only of Noah, but of the three boys for all their life until the, 
the year of the flood. If you, if you follow the years, you know Methuselah, right? Methuselah is the answer to a trivia question. That is, who, who lived the longest in the Bible? How long? You should, we all should know this. Nine. Not nine, six, nine. Close. Nine, six, nine. That extra year is very important. Yeah. Nine, six, nine. Nine, six, nine. And if you, if you trace all the, 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 the chronology, you realize Methuselah died the year of the flood. And, and appropriately so, because his name was prophetically given as Methuselah, which means when he dies, it will occur. What kind of a name is this? But Enoch was inspired by Jehovah to name his child. When he dies, it will occur. Now consider, what kind of a family is this? And can't, can, can you not imagine great-grandpa Methuselah getting the, ch- the boys? Boys, listen, I want to tell you about my father. He walked with God. He walked with God and, God, and God took him. We're in a very special family. Don't you, can you not imagine that there was some kind of talk like this? And those boys, anyway, were helped to take the family heritage, continue the family heritage, and speak the family heritage, and they gained others. Oh, dear saints, how, how we long that among us the leakage would stop. The attrition would stop. Losing so many. But rather, our children would gain other children. Other children. And through those children, gain other families. That's our view. That's our vision. That's our hope. That's why we're having today. That's why the ba- this is the banner for this year. We need to pray for the families. And for this, me in the next, actually in the next session, we'll talk about a little more of the family life. How can we have an atmosphere in the family that is so conducive, so attracting to our next generation that they would want to bring others into this kind of atmosphere rather than run away from it, which, which often is, is the case. But in Noah's household, you can really see the family of Noah can be a real inspiration. <clears throat> After this, uh, when, in the, when the time of uh, Moses and the Passover, we see one, one more uh, example. <clears throat> the Passover lamb was household by household, not individual by individual. A lamb for a house. Of course, there was the provision, if your household was too small, you could invite a neighbor over and you could share one lamb to- together. But for the most part, family by family. And we pointed this out on various occasions. Jehovah's desire, both in the Old and New Testament, was always to have a kingdom of priests. To have a a kingdom in which every constituent had the same right to go to God 
and to represent God. To, to bring man to God and God to man. That was his desire. That's in, that's in Exodus 19. He, he mentions this is the reason he brought them out of Egypt. And this is repeated in Revelation. In Revelation 1, it talks about he saved us, he redeemed us to be a kingdom of priests. But you consider in the Old Testament, did he ever get that? Oh, far from it. Who were the priests in the Old Testament? Only one tribe. Only one tribe served that function on behalf of everyone. However, on the night of the Passover, on the night of the Passover, there was a lamb slain in every household. And blood was applied. Blood was applied in every home. And to whom do you ascribe or relate those functions of slaying the lamb and applying the blood? Surely that's, those are priestly functions. So do, do you realize that night, maybe that night, the Lord got as close as he ever did to have a kingdom of priests. But in that scenario, who were the priests? The parents. The moms and dads carried this out. And in Exodus 12 and 13, it talks about this. It says that when the children see you doing this, they will ask you, what what is this service? And you were not, the instructions were not, um, wait and we'll gather all the children and we'll have Auntie Miriam give a lesson. Wait, and we'll get a message from Aaron or Moses. No. The instruction was, when they ask you, the parents should just answer. The parents should answer. And actually, I think it's in chapter 13 that it says something like this, that the answer should be something like this. It is because of what Jehovah did for me. Oh, all the parents. We have to help all the parents. We have to help all our new parents. We have so many new ones among us, in, 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 especially in certain halls. We have to help them realize this is their responsibility. Don't wait for the fifth grade or sixth grade. You know, uh, I, was, uh, I was visiting another locality recently, and one of the fathers was driving me to the meeting, and, uh, and he told me this story that his, his boy, um, I, th- I think his, his boy was about nine, um, he, he had trouble, uh, I guess he had, he had, I don't know if it was, he just got his phone. I think he just got his phone. And so <laughs> the rule is, can't use your phone once you go to sleep, at bedtime. That's the rule. I mean, that's the regular rule. <clears throat> and the boy got caught. Uh, he was doing some something. And uh, he was looking up videos of making models or tents or something. He was... Anyway. <clears throat> then he felt very bad. Felt very bad. <clears throat> then some time passed. And then the boy came. And, and was uh, just stricken. He was stricken. He did it again. But he didn't get caught. But he felt so bad. He felt so bad. So he told his, his, his dad. And the dad, 
his attitude. His attitude was, oh, okay, oh, I, I forgive you, thanks for telling me, and kind of sent him away, uh, or, or was about to send him away. And then the Lord touched him. This might be an opportunity, this might be the opportunity. The Lord is working in your boy. The Lord is working in your boy. But he confessed to me that he didn't have this concept because in that area they have the so-called sixth graders conference where they preach the gospel. You know, we, we usually preach uh, in years past in sixth grade. Last year we started to preach to the end of the fifth grade. So they have a similar thing. So he had this concept that that should be then. And then the Lord stopped him as he was going according to tradition. Actually, not the traditions of men, but the tradition of the church. And the Lord stopped him. The Lord is working in your boy. This might be the opportunity. So he realized this, and he talked to his wife, and they had some prayer. And it was actually on January 1st of this year. They had a little talk with their boy, and they shared with him why he's not able to obey mommy and daddy. It's because there's something in him called sin. Anyway, they spent some time with him, and they all knelt down and prayed together. I thought that was what a beautiful way to start the new year. With priests in the household. Dear saints, our children are of the Lord. We've consecrated them to the Lord. It should not be a surprise when the Spirit works on them operates on them to prepare them for himself maybe i'll just mention that much i don't know if the brothers want to jump in and amen i would just continue our brother sharing <coughs> a little bit while our brother was uh sharing in the beginning uh, i also come to this morning's uh uh, Holy Word for Morning Revival uh, is on, on Colossians, not to the parents. The last, the last group was the parents, not to vex the children. And uh, the same, uh, the same portion in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter six was also the last part was concerning the parents, not to provoke the children, but admonish, but discipline them uh, in the admonishing. Uh, in the discipline and admonishing of the law. Uh, we need to help the children. So, in fact, what we covered was pretty much uh, uh, the discipline and admonishing of the law. So it's uh, what we have learned here, in fact, uh, should not be for us only, uh, but for the next generation. Uh, I see here we have the, uh, some we have three generations. So. For the you know this is a, a parents conference, uh, so it's not just for uh, there are some got married, but you don't have children, so you are not officially parents. Uh, I remember when I got married. Uh, <clears throat> okay, that's very uh, that was a kind of a uh, <clears throat> spotlight points of my life. But before I realized, my children came. So I switched from the uh, husband and wife to parents. So uh, some of you here also, you know, we have some got married and uh, still think, uh, still don't have any children. Uh, 
So we soon may enter into the what we are uh, sharing here concerning the parents. Uh, you know, this this year, uh, this this new year, uh, we have uh, at least I know there are four marriages coming up. So these are the increase. Uh, there'll be more children coming up. So our brother share, you know, the enemy is trying to attack the next generation and kill the laws, uh, kill the children of Israel during Moses' time. Uh, I feel the, the enemy is doing the same thing uh, here. You know, we have uh, the churches going on. We have the number increasing, and we also have the family uh, establishing, and uh, there are more children coming up. So we need to be on the alert so the enemy will not kind of uh, come in uh, to do some kind of damage. Uh, I just feel this, uh, this gathering is very crucial for the church, you know, especially in this year. Uh, the burden is for the families, for the church life, and, uh, and the church life in every household. So I, I, I feel we all are here uh, for the Lord's burden for this year. And, uh, and this word is very healthy for us to, uh, uh, to hear and uh, uh, to, through the word, through the sharing, to enter into the same burden. So I, I just feel this is very timely. Uh, <clears throat> I feel also uh, the enemy is trying uh, through the society and bring in some, uh, some uh, bad influence. Uh, <clears throat> I think we are in a very crucial time uh, concerning our next generation. In fact, just recently, uh, <clears throat> I, I heard, you know, just a famous basketball player uh, died. And uh, a young one, in fact, uh, among us, uh, said something, oh, I'm going to be with her, him. That is alarming. That is alarming. So we should not take it for granted, you know, that, you know, our, our children are always safe uh, because of what's happening it may come in and affect our children. So I just feel, uh, <clears throat> when it was mentioned to me, I didn't know how to do it, what to do it. But anyway, uh, I realized at least I can pray. So I, I, I pray with the one that uh, shared, shared, shared this with me. And after prayer, uh, we both have much peace that, uh, you know, for, the, for that person uh, that the Lord can do something. And uh, so, but anyhow, I just feel that today we are uh, in the church life and uh, we should uh, <clears throat> come, you know, be uh, on the alert, be on the watchful side, that we will not take anything for granted, uh, both for our children, our gener- next generation, also for the young ones that we are caring for. So I feel that this is very crucial. Uh, I was touched that, you know, uh, by faith, you know, we, uh, it mentioned that uh, the witnesses of faith in Hebrews 11 and uh, of their walk with God, you know, they are, uh, many, many of them, it's all done by faith. So whatever we are here doing is not by sight but rather by faith. And uh, by faith means by prayer, you know. We don't have faith in ourselves, 
But when we pray, that means we depend on the Lord. So, so many situations, uh, both in our family, uh, between the husband and wife, uh, they are, you know, this is the target of the enemy. Uh, and also concerning our children's situations, uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult. But when we pray, we have faith. When we pray, and the Lord can come in and uh, uh, can carry out his work. So I just want to mention this, that uh, today I, I think this sharing is very timely, very crucial uh, for our families, for the husband and wives, and also for some of us, we already are, we already are parents. Uh, we need to, uh, uh, be, to be watchful. You know, I have a... Uh, before I realized, uh, I had a more than one kid. It was, they all lined up. And now, <laughs> now I have uh, three got married, but two are parents also. And uh, of course, there are a couple still not married. Uh, I just feel that today, no matter whether we are singles, or we are married, or we are not still not parents, we all need to be watchful. We need to uh, uh, find the battle with the Lord and uh, let the Lord continue to bless our families, you know. I feel this year, uh, through prayer and uh, remain in the church life, that's where the blessing is, and uh, we, our, our family can go on, and the Lord will have a way, continue his blessing on all the families and on the church life. Amen. In this session, we'd like to have some fellowship about godly families. What the church needs, actually, what the society needs, is godly families. And how can we, how can we build up a kind of atmosphere in our homes that is conducive for the church life and that is attracting to our own children, not only our own children, even their friends, even even others that come through our open homes. Brother Nee, I'd like to recommend this writing, Brother Nee, Watchman Nee. He has a message on parenting or parents uh, in the series, in the series uh, entitled Messages for Building Up New Believers. Messages for Building Up New Believers. There are three volumes. It's in the second volume. Actually, so many wonderful practical things in that volume, uh, even just for the husbands and wives. Actually, even before that, concerning courtship, for those who are before the Lord, concerning their future marriage, there's fellowship on uh, uh, courtship, there's fellowship on the husband and wife relationship, and there's fellowship concerning parenting. And in there, you will find, actually, I think there's about 10 points that uh, Brother Nee brings out that are so helpful uh, for the family. But one of them, one of them is the matter of having a family altar. A family altar, A-L-T-A-R. And having family worship. Having family worship. Now, when some... <clears throat> Uh, parents uh, see that uh, maybe out of this kind of a burden there's some zeal then uh, they may go to rush 
to institute something, we have to read the Bible together to the, to the children. I would say, don't go so fast. Don't go so fast if that's not been the habit in your family. Of course, if you have very young children, you can start tonight. You can start tonight to have a kind of an atmosphere uh, and, and build up that kind of a long-term habit. Uh, however, even if you do, even if you do, what we'd like to emphasize here is not any practice, not any practice, but rather we hope that all the saints would see the burden even to have a vision, and maybe through the fellowship, find a way. Because we have to be very clear that all of our children are different. All of our children under the Lord's sovereignty, they are different. Even among our children, we have three children, they are different than one another. And so we cannot expect that the same things that one family carries out will necessarily translate to another family. We have to have that kind of a flexibility. We have to have that kind of openness to the Lord to lead each family. But the main point that I would like to bring out at the beginning is that even if you have the desire to have such a kind of family worship, such a kind of a practice of enjoying the Lord together, there needs to be a foundation for that. There needs to be a foundation. And that foundation is actually our living. Our living. Both are living personally, each of us, before the Lord. That's why we wanted to sing this particular hymn before this session, 403, Live Thyself, Lord Jesus, Through Me for my very life art thou. But also, also, there is the living as a couple, as a couple. Of course, I understand there are families with different situations, and we do hope that through this fellowship, the enemy would not have any ground to weaken anyone or to accuse anyone. We all are in our current situations under the Lord's sovereignty. But in a uh, regular family, there is a mom and a dad with the, with the children. There might be other family members. But we'll talk about this. The relationship and the oneness between mom and dad is of utmost importance. So what I'd like to do as we go through this session is to go through a number of principles. Um, I'll just mention a few things concerning the, these points. And uh, I do hope that in this session there would be adequate time for some testimonies and responding because in this case, we need to learn from one another. There are some who have gone before. And yes, we would admit, we would admit, maybe regretfully, we made mistakes. But, but the key is to learn from your mistakes. Learn from the mistakes so that those mistakes are not propagated. So we learn, actually others can, can benefit from what we learn. And by the Lord's mercy, sometimes we learn and it's still not too late. So we're able to find a way in our own families. But we do hope that through the corporate fellowship, there could be some hope 
for the going on of the families in, in, in the church life. The first thing I'd like to, I'd like to mention is the matter of atmosphere. The atmosphere in our home. And primarily, the atmosphere in our home must be an atmosphere of love. An atmosphere of love has to be established in every home. In this, I relate to you something that Brother Nee says in that chapter that I mentioned. He says that this is so important, but in some families, in some families, the atmosphere is not like this. Rather, the atmosphere is like a law court. And the children, when something happens, are so afraid of coming to confess to the parents because of the judgment that they will receive. And, of course, there is the matter of discipline. There is the matter of discipline. That's necessary. And Brother Nee says some things in, in, in that chapter. So this love does not mean looseness. Love does not mean looseness. Love does not mean you let the children develop uh, on, on their own. That's a kind of a uh, philosophy uh, as well. No discipline. No. Actually, it says very clearly in Hebrews, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Discipline is an, uh, an expression of, of love. But even how we discipline should be full of love. Full of love. And, and this is one point that, that all parents of all ages uh, have to have to learn we should never we should never discipline in or out of anger in or out of anger then it's flesh dealing with flesh we have to even our discipline should be in the lord and according to christ and that sometimes is not so easy we need to be dealt with first before dealing with our children Sometimes, sometimes I, I notice uh, I, 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 from observation, um, some parents. This is even when my in my high school days. I remember such a situation where there was an incident. A boy was naughty, and the mommy would say, "Go to your room and wait for me." Oh, later I found out actually that was so that she could call on the Lord. And have the Lord apply the cross to her anger so that when she would go and discipline the child, it, it would be something with a proper spirit. Sometimes, she told me, sometimes she waited too long. The anger ceased. And eventually she felt, oh, I, should forg- I, I don't even have the heart to discipline. And then the Lord would tell her, no, no, you have to follow through. And now she has to take the cross to discipline. Very interesting. Very interesting dynamic. But that is an example of a person in Christ who takes Christ as their person, even in the matter of the discipline. Our home should have an atmosphere of love. And that, and that <clears throat> comes or is fostered by, fostered by, uh, which one? Let me write this one next. Communication. 
and interest or showing interest. All children, when they're first born, they're developing, growing up, is very spontaneous. It's very spontaneous. Anything and everything that happens to them, their first reaction is, Mommy! Yeah, I guess sometimes it's, Daddy! But from, from, what, I, from what I've observed, it's usual, Oh, there's Daddy! Daddy! Yeah, because she's looking for Mommy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So from what I've observed, I don't know, maybe your families were different, but, but Mommy is the initial initial response and 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 actually when brother when brother nee's talking about this point uh, of love he says parents should establish a friendship with their children you know friend parent those are two different relationships parent you don't choose friend you choose you choose one chooses their friends it should be that the children choose to be in this relationship. That when something, this is what Brother Nee says, when something good happens, you're the first one they think of telling. When something bad happens, you're the first one they think of telling. And all parents have that spontaneously, initially, with nearly every child. As they grow up, as they grow up, and as they're properly groomed to be to have some independence, they they should have independence. They should be able to do things on, on, on their own. That's very normal. That's very proper. But there's no need for distance to develop. There's no need for distance to develop. Distance begins to develop when we are negligent, when we're negligent, when we stop showing interest, when we stop having communication. And this, we all know, when you see, you know, e- even not with our own children, when this, in the small group meetings, when you go to another saint's home, and a little child is there, and you get closer to them, and they're involved with something, wouldn't you, wouldn't you ask them, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Actually, don't you know what they're doing? You know what they're doing. Yeah. But don't you ask, oh, what are you doing? And actually, you probably wouldn't ask like this. You probably would ask like this. Actually, the best way is just sit on the floor next to them. I was, I was told this. I was told this at the break time that I think this happened in this session, uh, earlier session, while we were here. There was a, there was a, a boy working with some, I don't know, it was like sticks or, anyway. I don't think they were dominoes, but that's what they looked like in the, in the picture. Uh, my father used to play dominoes. Uh, and, and then an older sister, actually a grandma, sat at the table and started not, not interacting with him, doing the same thing, doing the same thing he was doing. And the boy sat so calmly, look up, down. They didn't communicate in words. But I was told, I, actually I don't know this boy, I was told this boy is very, 
active. Hardly ever would sit. But because Grandma just sat there and was interested in his things, and he's looking to see how she did it, and then he did, there was a silent communication. Do you see how she entered his world? She entered his world. With our children, that's how they're, they're, they're playing with the dolls, with the toys, with the Legos, with, with sometimes with cardboard, sometimes with something. We, and you get into their... It's easy to get into their world. Okay, question is, when does that stop? When does that stop? Did it stop? You know, often it stops. It changes. The situation changes. But... Of course, the form may change because they get older. But, but there must be a way. There must be a way to maintain that kind of contact with them. You know, this word interest, I'm I, I using this word purposely. Uh, Brother Lee, Brother Witness Lee, he has a, a, a message. Um, it's entitled, How to Lead the Young People. How to Lead the Young People. It's just a one, one message. It's actually in a booklet. booklet. And in this booklet, I mean, in this message, he's encouraging the saints in general to shepherd the young people. And he has six, uh, six points. And the first point is show interest. Show interest in their things in their things. And I think the, the next point or the third one is have talks, personal talks. But when you talk to them, when you approach them, don't talk anything spiritual. Now he's talking about teenagers. Of course, with the children, you wouldn't talk the spiritual things. You talk about Legos, right? You talk about toys. But even with the middle school and the high school, he says, our tendency would be we see them and we ask, did you have morning watch? How's your morning watch this week? Did you go to the meeting? What didn't you enjoy in your young people's meeting? Can you tell me about your, your, your meeting? He said for at least 10 times, don't talk about anything. Some of the saints' reaction is, I, I don't know what else to talk about. I, I wouldn't, because if it's not the Bible, I, I don't know what to talk about and I don't have any heart to talk about. Oh, but the point is, you have to take the cross and show interest in their things. You know, the Lord Jesus, he's our best example. He's our best example. You know, on the road to Emmaus, remember that story at the end of, at the end of Luke, Luke 24? These two discouraged disciples, and they're walking the wrong direction. The wrong direction. Okay. What was his goal in this conversation? Was it not to turn them around to go back to Jerusalem? Because at the end of the story, they go back. They go back to the upper room. And that evening, you have to put the puzzle pieces together. That same evening, if you go to John 20, you realize he was going to appear to them and breathe into them the, the, the spirit, right? To, to regenerate them. This was the initiation of, of, of the church. He wanted them there. Did he ever tell them to go back to the meeting? 
You look at that story. No, no, no. What does he do? He walks with them. Do you know how long? I think it says, uh, I forget the number there, 60 stadia or something, but actually seven miles or 11 plus kilometers. 11 kilometers. Can you imagine Jesus walking with them? And you know, when people are sad, and they were sad, it says at one point when he came up to them, they stopped. They stopped. So he stopped. You know, when people are sad, they walk slow. And so, so this wasn't, a, this wasn't a, like a speed walking. Yeah. Hours walking in the wrong direction. The glorified Jesus in resurrection. But he didn't come. He didn't come. You're glowing. He came as a man alongside and walked at their pace. And then asked questions. You know the questions he asked? What are you talking about? And they, they stopped looking sad. They, they actually told him, they told him something like this. Actually, only one is named, uh, Cleopas. Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have transpired? Did, did Jesus forget? Like, oh, yeah, I died and resurrected. <laughs> no, he knew what they were talking about. And do you know what, how he responds? Says, Are you the only one that doesn't know all the things that transpired? And he, he says, what things? <laughs> Why? Oh, to shepherd. Why? To get them to talk. To get them to unload. To get them to breathe out their sorrow. Their preoccupation. He just walked alongside. This is what we're talking about. You know, some years ago I realized, oh, I apply this for so many young people. I should apply this for my own children. And I, since then I encourage all the parents, read this book. And first apply this with our own families. Just walk alongside with no judgment and no correction at first. Enter into their situation. Now I tell you, parents that have this little children, you have this already. Just never lose it. Never get so busy. Never get so busy with life. Even with the children. You're, you're busy with them. But you're busy with affairs, not with their souls. Pay attention to their souls. Have quiet times with them to talk and to draw their heart out. Draw their heart out. There'll be no inhibitions. There's no inhibitions. You want to preserve that as much as possible. Walk alongside. You know, eventually, when it's the right time, he began to bring in the scripture. But what happened? What happened? You know, later, when they get to the house, even then, you know, uh, before getting to the house, they come to a certain fork in the road, and you read verse 28, Luke 24, 28. It says, they came to this fork in the road, and, and they, they live this way, and, and he, he said, oh, 
I'm going this way. Oh, why did he do that? It said, it's, it actually says, he acted as if he would go further. He acted as if he would go further. That's the God-man. He acted as if he would go further. Then they must have pleaded with him. No, no, please. Come with us. Can you not imagine him saying, Oh, mm, I wouldn't want to impose. And then, no, 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 not an imposition at all. Please come. And then the Lord would say maybe, Okay, but maybe for a little while. And then they go to the house. And then you know what happened, right? When he, he prays, their eyes are opened, he disappears. Oh, saints. This to me is the pattern of shepherding. The top pattern of shepherding. And this actually is the top pattern of parenting too. To just walk with people. You say something, but in a measured way of the Lord... When the, when the time is right. And what do they say? They said, we're not our hearts burning within us. You know, before something burns, what happened, it's the warm-up period, right? So it must have been their hearts were warmed up, strengthened, encouraged, now interested. Oh, saints, we, we sometimes, by our presentation of the word, we jump, expecting people to be burned. But in a, we end up burning them in a negative way. Not this kind of burning. We want their hearts to be warmed up. The question is their hearts. They mention, we're not our hearts burning. Parents, our quest is a quest to gain the hearts of our children. To gain the hearts of our children. We have that to a certain extent that needs to be developed, that needs to be developed. And we take advantage of every opportunity to have their heart, interest, and communication. And of course, this is easier to say than to do. And especially, again, we don't want the enemy to come in and um, cause any stumbling, any discouragement, because we're all at different stages, I mentioned before, from, from infants through children that have children. And we're at different stages of this with, with, with our children. Of course, I've, I've fellowshiped this in many places. And one thing that many grandparents say is, I have a second chance with my grandchildren. And actually... To have the proper shepherding of grandchildren could open the hearts of our children. So pay attention to that. But parents, we have this to a certain extent. And it still has to be nurtured. It has to be nurtured as they get older. Um, I may have mentioned this in one occasion. Maybe it was to the serving ones this past November but I'd like to bring this example because I mentioned something like this in one locality and a sister uh, gave a a testimony to confirm this fellowship, especially this matter of communication and interest. And she told us, uh, it was a very honest testimony. She told us that she was on the phone one time 
and her daughter, who is about 15 years of age, rushes in, very excited, and she's having fellowship with a, another sister. And the, the young girl, the young girl had just come home from the movies. And she says, Mommy, Mommy, I got to tell you, she was so in, uh, just uh, enthralled with this, with this uh, movie. She went to, she started to talk about it, even though, I mean, it's like she didn't even realize the mother was on the phone. Then the mother covers the phone and says, Dear, you know I'm not interested in these kind of things. The daughter turned around and went, and then she got back to her fellowship. And she told us, she told us that as she looked back, she realized that that day changed the relationship with her daughter. And she didn't realize it. But the daughter stopped coming to her with things. And she did not notice that until this fellowship came. Oh, saints, we need to exercise to be interested. And I realized that for many parents, it's not that easy because many things that our young people are interested in, we're not interested in. Actually, sometimes we feel, these are bad for them. Why would I be interested in? It's an investment to spend a little time just to know some of the things. It doesn't mean you have to get into the thing. You know, another, another pattern of, of um, shepherding is what we see in John 21. In John 21, this another example. Seven brothers. They are where they should not be. You know, they go fishing. This was even after the Lord's resurrection. They go fishing. Where are they? On the sea. They went backwards. They went back to the world. You know, the, the sea is a picture of the world. They went back to their old profession. So they are there, and Jesus is there. And you know, they fish all night and catch nothing. Catch nothing. And then in the morning, suddenly Jesus is there. And in these two accounts, Luke 24, John 21, so strange, they don't recognize Jesus. You know, that shows that when you come to people, don't come looking like Jesus. Do, do you understand? Don't come, I'm coming to shepherd you now. Yeah, don't do that. You have to be incognito. You have to be an incognito shepherd. So, but in John, what do you see? The Lord is on the seashore, and he asks them another question. Another question to which he already knew the answer. Little children, he calls them little children. Little children, you don't have anything to eat, do you? No. Actually, I really wonder. This is another thing. If you stop and consider what was going on in the boat, and the, you know, you read it and it just goes so quickly that, oh, and they talk to him. Don't you think in the boat some of the brothers said, who's this guy? And I wish he'd leave us alone. If I were there, I would think to say, mind your own business. And I don't know if they thought that, but they didn't say that. And so they, they start engaging with the Lord. And what does he say? Cast the net on the other side. Oh, when this happened, I'm thinking, would one of them say, what difference is that going to make? 
Maybe one of them said, just do it. Humor him, he might go away. I don't know. But they did that. And then all the fish, 153. And that's significant as well. And the large fish rush into the net. And then John, I think, John is the one that says, it's the Lord, Peter. And then jumps into the water. Do you realize he helped them first before unveiling who he was? But how did he help them? In this case, he didn't walk seven miles with them. In this case, he had a limit. He stayed on the shore, and they were in the sea. But he didn't condemn them for being in the sea. He just helped them to accomplish what they... But, from here. You know, in this case, he doesn't even walk on the water. You know, he could have, but he did not. So what does this show us? This shows us another principle is sanctification. We must maintain in our households a standard of sanctification for their sakes. For their sakes, there's some things we wouldn't do. For their sakes, there's other things we would do. You know, the Lord Jesus himself in John 17, 19 said, for their sakes, the disciples, I sanctify myself. But this doesn't mean, you know, sanctification means to be holy. But this does not mean to have a holier-than-thou attitude. This is not that with my standard of holiness, I condemn you. I condemn others, including our children. But we maintain a level of sanctification. And I would say one particular area we must maintain our sanctification is in is in the matter of our speaking, our words. Our words, the words that we exchange between mother and father, the older generation in the household. And I don't mean, I don't mean disputations. I mean loose talking. Even talking about the saints, talking about brothers and sisters, talking about the affairs of the church, things in, going on in the church life. We need to be careful about our attitudes. We need to be careful even of our facial expressions. Oh, there's a parents' conference. Oh, I don't know if there was ever a response from your spouse. Oh, another conference? Even that. Be careful. Because, Because another principle is this. All the time, all the time, we are sowing tiny seeds by our actions. All the time. The things we do sow seeds. The way we spend our money or the way we don't spend our money. Where we go to vacation, how long we go to vacation, the timing of our vacation. All these things sow seeds to the children. Saints, you know, on our, on our updated website, I hope you've all gone there just to take a look. On our updated website, we now have a calendar of the whole year so the families know well in advance. That way, that way, when you're planning something for your family, uh, make sure, make sure 
the children know, and actually another principle, what the priority is in your household. Make sure this is a, another, another point. What are the priorities? What governs your household? Sometimes you don't have to preach to the children. Just our actions is a message. When we, when we have the church life in its proper place in our lives, the children, the children just know. Actually, the children can be quite happy. Quite happy. You know, with this, many of us were touched uh, when we were in, in uh, this example that was brought out in a recent training. Actually, it's in, in the scripture. Where in uh, Numbers, I believe, in, in when, they, when they had the array of the 12 tribes with the tabernacle in the middle and each th- set of three tribes to the east, to the north, to the west, to the south. But every tent faced the tabernacle. I hope, I hope that would be our reality. I hope that would be our reality in the church life here in New York City. Every tent faces the tabernacle. What does that mean? That means Christ and the church is first. Christ and the church is first. And eventually, if you have that kind of atmosphere, the, the children will just, they just know. They just know. I won't, even, I won't even sign up for that thing because I know that, no, Lord's Days, we go to the church meeting. Oh, no, I won't even sign up for that because, because the summer school is on certain date. That you just know. And the children can be quite happy. Actually, saints, many of, many of us here, many of us here who are second and third generation believers, this, this is how you were raised. This is how you were raised. I hope, I hope you would not, you would not compromise your family's legacy. Because you turned out pretty okay. Don't feel the pressure from the world. Oh, if no, things have changed and I need to... Well, yes, society have changed. That's true. But make sure your tent is still facing the same way. Society can change. But don't change the direction of your tent. Don't change the direction of the door of your tent. Your children will be fine. Your children will be happy. And their testimony will be, can be, just as yours. That actually, at the end, you, you did not suffer. You did not suffer. The things that you thought you were missing out on at the time, actually, no, no. The positive things that have come out of your families pursuing Christ and the church greatly outweigh whatever losses or sufferings you felt along the way. Yes, in the moment, I think quite a number of you can testify. You fought against what your parents were doing. But eventually, eventually, today, no regret. No regret. And the positive, everything positive that's come out of your family legacy greatly outweighs whatever temporal suffering there was. I think many of us can give this kind of, this kind of testimony.
um, another point. Well, actually, this is kind of embedded in many things that we were that we have already been talking about is the parents as parents, and then even eventually as older siblings, we are the patterns. We're the patterns. It's not a matter of preaching. It's a matter of example. And again, in our words, in our actions, or in our inaction. When, when, uh, when things come out in, even in the news, and you know, today, today, the, the whole atmosphere in this country is so polarized, so polarized. It's very easy for parents just to say something that gives the children the impression of where you stand in this whole, in this whole thing. Even that, I would say, pass it through the cross because we are patterns. We are patterns. The children are looking in, in, in Brother Nee's message, he says, there's always two or four or six eyes on you. And they don't remember, they don't they remember so much what we say. They remember what we did. And he points this out. Even when we're gone, the children will remember your pattern. As I read that, I, I say, Has, it's so true. So true. Things about my mother and my father. I just remember them. Remember them. Even my father, who was not a believer for many years, just his care for the family, for me, and so on. Many things still speak to me from, from, that, from that pattern. Another one, maybe this, maybe we should have mentioned this first, but I'll mention it now. is oneness. Oneness. You know, uh, in Matthew 12, this phrase, this, this verse that many of us are familiar with, a house divided cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. We need a household of oneness. We need a household of one accord between the mother and the father. Now, even in the church life, it doesn't, even though we enjoy one accord, doesn't mean we agree all the time. But then we have fellowship. We have fellowship. And as we go to the Lord, the Lord brings us into one mind. And then, and then there's the one accord and the one moving forward. Oh, that all the households could have such experience. Even there's some disagreement about something behind the closed doors, not in front of the children. And, and a, a, an exercise of both going to the Lord and then being brought into one mind. Oh, that we could have this kind of experience in, in every household. Saints, when there's oneness, it's, there is commanded blessing. There is commanded blessing. And that, that is not only, that is not only in the church life, that is also in our families, in our family life. Maybe that's enough for now. Maybe I'll say that much 
Brothers, I don't know if you want to jump in with something or we just ask the saints first to say something. Yeah. Yeah, we have 30 minutes. Saints, please feel free to respond. Um, confirm with any testimonies you may have. Amen. But my point, maybe I'll repeat what I said at the beginning. My point is this, saints. You may have times of the family meeting together, but if you don't have this, there's no foundation. That's just, it's just an outward kind of activity. The foundation for our worship is actually our daily living. Enough. Based on what was shared in the testimonies in the last uh, session, uh, I'd like to add this word here. I think it's important. Uh, what one of our sisters shared about listening. Listening. We need, we need to learn how to be good listeners. Good listeners. Um, in a moment, we'll, we want to show you some slides and some uh, statistics and so on. Uh, you know, one, one of the points, one of the points that uh, the serving ones uh, in our study in the recent years, um, you just can't get around this, this matter that the uh, suicide rates among young people in, in, uh, in America, actually globally, are just increasing are just increasing. Um, listening. We, we need to learn to listen to people, to pick up the signs when, when people are in distress. But we should be fostering this kind of atmosphere in our homes just in a normal way. If this could be done, actually a lot of I think many problems could be avoided as children uh, as children grow. I want to I want to add just a couple of more uh, words uh, to this to this list. Um, this what I, what I want to add now relates both to the home life and to the serving ones because here we do have quite a number who are serving don't have children of their own biological children but are serving uh, in, in the children's meeting. And I'd like to put these uh, four, four words here. Um, infuse and inspire. And then in pairs, identity and community. We need to do our best from the time they're so young to infuse our children, our next generation, with these two things. A sense of identity and a sense of community. And by community, I mean this church life family. This church life family. <clears throat> I think the, maybe the best, 
or one of the best examples of this is actually found in the book of Daniel. You know, with, with Daniel, when, when the book opens, already there's a lot of action going on. Nebuchadnezzar's armies from Babylon are coming to take the city, besiege the city, destroy the city, and the temple. And then something symbolic happens there is it talks about them going into the temple and taking the gold and silver vessels. So it mentions this specifically. <clears throat> and that's just a picture of the children. A picture of the children. And they destroy the temple, they destroy the city, they carry them back to Babylon. And then it makes a point that this Nebuchadnezzar looks upon God's people and he decides that the best ones, the best ones should be brought into, seduced by him and brought into his service. So they look among the royal seed particularly and they choose the top ones and they want to train them. They want to train them. And they, they bribe them by giving them the best, the royal dainties and the best food. And then you have this famous verse, Daniel 1.8. But Daniel, but Daniel, purposed in his heart not to be defiled with the king's meat. That little phrase, but Daniel... What's behind that? What is behind that? There, saints, there's so much behind that. Behind that, there is a sense of identity and a sense of community. Behind that, there's a, there's a feeling. I know who I am. I am one, God, one of God's chosen. And I cannot touch anything that is defiled or that would defile these lips, defile this person. Because it was the custom there in Babylon that many of their, even their foods, would be offered to idols before being served to the king. And you don't know specifically, was this what's before me? Was it or was it not offered? But even there's a possibility, Daniel said, no even over the possibility. And then, when he purposed in his heart, and he stood for the Lord, others around him got emboldened. Imagine there, were no, there was no Daniel. You know, Daniel had these three, three friends, right? Right? Hananiah, right? Azariah, and Mishael. He had these three. And when Daniel rose up, they stood with him. Imagine no Daniel. We don't know if the other three would have taken the initiative. Now, from where did this young Daniel get the wherewithal to make such a choice and to make such a stand? Okay. I do believe we must give the credit to his family. I do believe there was an infusion there was an infusion, probably over years, for this young vessel. For this young vessel. At this moment, no parents around. At this moment, 
know what we would call serving ones around. Not You can't rely on anyone. His experience must be first-hand. First-hand. But where did it come from? I believe it came, at least in part, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the verses we read at the beginning of the second session. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. There it says that we need to ourselves love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul. Right? We love Him. And then it talks about the Word of God. The Word of God being handled in a household. And it talks there about the parents speaking with their children when they're rising up, when they're going to bed, when they're around the table eating, when they're journeying on the way, even to put the Word of God in their household and to even wear it. Right? There was an atmosphere of the Word. And this, saints, this is not by preaching. This is infusing. And eventually, eventually, there's an inspiring that happens, an inspiration to action. We need this. We need this in our households. Too often, too often, uh, we may have preaching and pushing. Preaching and pushing. Rather than, rather than infusing and inspiring. I hope that we could take this word to the Lord in each of our situations. Again, all the children are different. All the children are different. Our testimonies could inspire one another, but should never be taken as the way. Because we each need to find a way. We may hear testimonies of one family that has some breakthrough, some success. You could learn from that. Maybe you try to apply a little bit. If it works, that's wonderful. If it doesn't, don't give up. It's just that the way didn't work. For your family, there will be a way. So I hope that we could, we could be before the Lord concerning, concerning this matter. And how can we infuse the Word of God to our children in a way that doesn't close their hearts, in a way that doesn't cause them to be bored. You know, children get bored. I still remember this uh, uh, testimony um, years ago when we were laboring at Queens College. Uh, we came, we met a dear sister, and she uh, already was uh, uh, um, in the Lord and from a very godly family, very godly family. Actually, that family had the brethren background, just like my family background, uh, in the Brethren denomination. They loved the Lord very much. And I recall <clears throat> that eventually some of us, we got to know them and started meeting the members of the family, and they invited us to dinner in uh, their home. This college sister, she had a high school-age brother, high school-age brother, when we got to the home and we were having uh, dinner together, this boy brought this point up. He told us that every morning, at least from Monday to Friday, the family had time together in the Word. Oh, 
I was so impressed by this. But do you know, it was for one hour. And it was one hour of daddy preaching to the family. This young brother, he said, Brother Ricky, help! Because maybe our dad will listen to you. Like this. Well, <clears throat> I didn't have the heart to uh, interrupt what our brother had built up. But I do know this. That's probably not the way. That's probably not the way. But you know what? Those children, I think they were five. I don't know if you brothers recall. There were five in this family. They respected their parents. They loved their parents. And they sat through that and suffered that. Day after day, week after week, and for years. And for years. So I got to give it to him that the, the, those, the, our, dear, our dear brother. But I would recommend don't do that. Don't do that. It's not preaching, it's infusing. And it must be of interest to the children. The children, if we're going to have a time of being in the Word together, it must be interesting to the children. And saints, when we talk about like a family meeting or family worship, uh, I don't know what, what that is translated to each of us. But actually, we're just talking about sitting maybe on the floor together and singing some of the children's songs. Five, ten minutes. Good enough. Then maybe, maybe, if you want to do more, me memorize the verses that each child is assigned. You could have a time where the whole family memorizes together, including mommy and daddy. So you don't tell them. But I know in, in many households, and I, I remember... Sometimes, in, the, in my household like this, Lord's Day morning. Oh, no. where's your craft? Where, where's your verse? It's on the craft. Where's your craft? It's on the, it's on the uh, refrigerator. Then you go there. Ah, it's not there. Oh, there's panic. You're calling someone. Who's, what? Okay. And then on the way home, I'm, I'm sorry, on the way to the meeting. What is it? Come on. And you're, okay. Mm. The there's no atmosphere of love. That's atmosphere of school. That's an atmosphere of school. And then when they can't, and then, and no wonder sometimes the children walk into the meeting hall already frustrated on Lord's Day morning. Yeah, I hope we don't have something like that. I hope we can have an atmosphere, even the family come to the meeting in such a joyous and happy, happy way together. Now, to have a time th during the week to read the verse together, uh, be acquainted with the story even. And of course, with that, there, it's a good opportunity to say we should have more fellowship between the parents and the serving ones to know what is being covered and what are the stories so that we could reinforce whatever lesson was being presented, whatever point was being stressed in that Lord's Day meeting. But this can be. It can be a joyous time. Especially, I would like to uh, mention, which we have in the past, mention these two websites, these two websites, as resources for all the parents. One of them is Bible Story Songs. Bible Story Songs.com. Bible Story Songs.com. 
there you will find so many uh, songs, CDs that you can order. And, and actually, we use them in our children's meeting. We use them in our Bible camps very much. Sometimes one CD will hold the theme of one of our Bible camps. Many of the churches in, throughout the, the North, uh, North America practice this way. They take one set of songs, and the stories from which those songs are drawn become the topic of a Bible camp. It's so good to know those, those songs. Um, I'm, I'm, like one of the sisters mentioned, I, I, I also am thankful I have a second go-round because we didn't have many of those songs when my children were children's meeting age. But now we have all these hymns. I'm learning them with my grandchildren. And every time I make another visit, I learn another song. And sometimes what you could do is just leave. If the children are, are, are at home, just leave it playing over and in the background even there'll be some infusion actually the whole household can be infused including mommy and daddy and and i have to tell you some of those songs after being with my grandchildren that are all in california i come home and i wake up with those songs yeah and actually the lord speaks to me through those songs so i i could testify this what this really the songs could really help with this point right here in the matter of the atmosphere in our homes. The other website is thebibletellsmeso.com. The Bible tells me so. Just all together, no no spaces. The Bible tells me so.com. And there you will find books. Uh, coloring, you know, material, activities books that are saturated with the word that could just be a good resource for the parents. Okay, so we want to mention that. And, oh, videos also, that's right, videos. And, and there, there we have a team of saints who are working very much to build up, that, especially that's, that site. We will have resources there Go back and even if you're familiar with the site, go back. You might find something new even even this week. So we want to encourage you with with these two. Okay. Another thing I'd like to mention, actually, for all of this, for all of this, and especially for the atmosphere in the home. Um, one of the brothers mentioned in his uh, wedding announcement this verse. We actually read it this morning. Joshua 24:15 the second part as for me and my house we will serve Jehovah or as for me and my house we will serve the Lord every head of house should make such a decision every parent should make such a decision as for me and my house we will serve the Lord however for the atmosphere in the house to be such it greatly depends it greatly depends on the sisters on whether or not the sisters are content the sisters are happy in the Lord and so actually to have any of this 
it really depends of the life of the sisters with the Lord. You know, our second banner this year is taken from Isaiah 37, 31. Take root downward and bear fruit upward. Sisters, I hope in your sisters' prayer meetings you would pray for one another. Pray for one another's times with the Lord. With some sisters, because of whatever stage of life they're in, especially with young children, um, there is a disruption or a great change in their schedule from what they had when they were single. And to navigate through these, uh, this change over a period of months or years, and maybe just when you're coming out of it, the next child comes, and then that happens again and again. Oh, the sisters need our prayer. And the sisters need our compassion. Sisters, the atmosphere of the house, we know, depends very much on how, how you are. I hope we could stand with one another for this and pray for this. And we'll save more fellowship for four weeks from today. On the 29th, we will have a sis the sisters' conference. So we'll be able to say more there. Uh, one of the brothers pointed this out at the break time. Isn't it interesting that on uh, this year we have a conference on February 1 and a conference on February 29? Yeah, this is the leap year, so we have the extra, the extra day. And the Lord is providing this time. But I would say in both of these sessions of fellowship, so much is for and depends on the sisters that the sisters could have the proper supply. You know, it says in, in, um, in uh, Timothy that the older sisters among us should help the younger sisters, right, to manage their households. Actually, part of that is shepherding them to navigate how to have times with the Lord in the midst of their current situation. Again, our situations are all different, so... We stress so much the morning time. You know, with some sisters, it just doesn't work. You have, but you have to find a way, some time, to have times with the Lord. And they may not be, they may not look like they used to. They may not be as long as they used to be. But how important it is that all the sisters get the proper supply in the Lord. I hope we, I hope we pray for this. Okay, could we, we want to show you some of these uh, points. Let's start with, could we start with the uh, crucial elements? Crucial elements. Yeah. This is um, taken, this is an excerpt <coughs> from uh, a book called Crucial Elements of God's Economy. And who would think... Who would think that in a book with this title, you can find something related to raising our children? This, Saints, was a conference, I believe in 1978, given by Brother Lee, here in our little meeting hall there in the, in the front of the property. Um, I was not here at this time. I was actually living in, in, on the West Coast. But some of you, might, I think, were here and might remember this fellowship. In message six, which was the final, the final uh, meeting, Brother Lee opened the meeting for questions and answers. Uh, 
During that period of time, he was doing that quite a bit in his conferences. And uh, maybe we could, let's read the question. Let's read the question together. Uh, I'm pretty sure this was by a mom. I'm pretty sure this was by a mom. But go ahead. Question. Amen. Okay. Answer. Some, yeah. Let's let's read the first paragraph. To be. And here's the first lesson. First, in order to raise our children to love the Lord and to come to the church meetings regularly, we must be proper persons. We must have a proper living before the Lord. Proper living before the Lord. Uh, Then it talks about... Okay, thank you. Um, Being genuine here. Therefore, we need to be genuine. The point is, you can't tell your children to do something, then you yourself do not... Do it. Let's go to the next uh, next page. Yeah. Um, here. Besides being proper persons, parents need to exercise their wisdom. This is an area in which most parents are lacking. It is easy for a parent to have love, but it is not as easy to have wisdom. Parents must exercise their wisdom to discern whether or not to charge their children to come to the church Meetings. So he's saying here, actually, it might not be wise to push your child at this stage to go to the to the church to the church meeting. Um, here it says, according to our discernment, we may exhort our children. However, some parents are zealous without wisdom, and their zealousness offends their children. The more they charge their children to come to the meeting, the more they offend their children, causing a strong reaction. Next page, please. Yeah. Um, Then here. Oh, wait, let me read this last sentence. If our children are in a certain condition, it may be better not to charge them to come to the meetings until their condition improves. I was very touched with this answer, a little surprised, Um, but this is a very God-man answer. What I mean is very human knowing the condition of, of, of the children. Okay, then, finally, parents need to trust in the Lord's mercy. How about we read this part together? Romans 9.16 says... Children turn to the Lord. 
Amen. Then another question, how should I regulate my children concerning watching television and movies? I think today we would ask the question about being on their cell phone or, you know, like, like this. Uh, it says, because of the current age, it is very difficult for parents to forbid their children to watch television and movies. I think today we would say the same thing about the, about, about the phone. We, uh, therefore, parents need to exercise their wisdom to restrict which television shows or movies to allow their children to see. We also need to teach our children the reasons for our restrictions so that, when, uh, uh, so that they will understand our decisions as they grow older. We need to give them proper explanation according to their age, not prematurely. We should not tell them something that they cannot understand. Our training must be according to the age. Then, uh, this is the main point I want to get, uh, bring you to in this, in this writing. To raise children is not easy or simple it requires that we spend much time with our children. The more time we spend with our children, the better. We should spend at least two hours every evening doing nothing. But next, being with our children, talking to them, teaching them. This will make them happy and give them good training. If we do not spend time with our children, we should expect that they will have problems. Then in this question here, this is about sending children to the dormitories. Actually, eventually, he says here, in order to properly care for a 15-year-old, we need to spend 14 years to educate the child. The point is, sometimes by the time we get to a situation, they're 14, 15, we actually had 13 or 14 years to prepare, but often we squandered. We didn't realize that we're preparing today to face that situation. And this comes back to this point of showing interest and being involved with with, with the children. Could we go to the uh, second of the three files? See if you can get that. Uh, yes, okay, very good. Uh, next, uh, yeah, go down, sorry. Yeah, we're going to skip quite a bit of this. I only want a, a few, uh, keep going, please. Uh, okay, here. Generation Z, born after 2000. This part is just to give a kind of a, a definition of our young people today. This, this, that is very different from the prior, uh, prior generations. This is young people today in general, but it includes many of our uh, young people. 15% use screen media more than four hours a day. 4% have a biblical worldview, post-Christian beliefs. 33% say gender is how I feel inside. And this is a matter of identity. So just absolutely anti the scriptures. But this is, this is people's 
philosophy and view, including some of our children now hold such concepts because they were infused by these, these concepts. 51% say happiness is a goal based on financial success. 39% interact with people different from them. Okay, this is a more positive uh, uh, development. 33% believe family is at the core of their identity. That's low. Used to be higher in prior generations. 58% experience being depressed or sad with 27 likely to be treated for poor mental health. These are growing. These are growing. This group is a very respected uh, uh, group uh, that, that does studies uh, among Christian young people. Among Christian young people. Okay, keep going, please. Okay, this is interesting. We presented this to some of you in the Serving One's time. Top five reasons why church dropouts say they stopped attending. This is among young adults 23 to 30 who attended a Protestant church regularly for at least a year in high school. Now they were asked, they were asked, do you still go to church regularly? What we were told in this study, 67% said no. Or 66% dropped, almost two-thirds. 34% still continued. So they asked the ones who continued to go, why do you continue to go? The ones who dropped, why did you drop? And these are, these, this is from the, the ones that dropped, okay? And these are, the, these are the major factors, reasons. They moved away to another place, and they stopped attending. Okay, in our situation, among the churches, you could hardly move somewhere where we don't have some connection. We can connect them with saints in different places. But even having that, many slip away. Actually, many come to New York from other localities, not with the intention to continue their church life. But it's our burden to find every one of them. So this is, this, we have to pay attention to this. Just moving changes their church life. But these next two I want to I wanna highlight. Church members seem judgmental or hypocritical. A third of them had the feeling that the congregation judged them. This has to do with the atmosphere, not only in our home, but in our church life. I hope we could overcome this, that we would not have a judgmental atmosphere. And then this one, I didn't feel connected to people in my church. And here it's not just talking about companions of the same age. It means they did not have the feeling this was their community. This was their family. This is very interesting because the converse is also true. Those who stayed, those who stayed, uh, you'll see this in another, uh, another uh, uh, page, gave reasons why they stayed. And one of the key reasons is that they developed at least five intergenerational relationships with members in their, congr in their congregation. That means not just companions. You know, we stress for years, we always stress spiritual companions. That is so important. And indeed it is. But actually, not just this. If they have only that, they may not be able to remain. They need connections with saints of all ages. Of all ages. And then we started asking our saints, and even ourselves, what about us? What is our 
experience. And I have to say, at least I can say, I can say, this is really true. I came into the Lord's recovery, into the church life here when I was 15 years old. And I developed relationships through the service, especially through the service, through being invited to homes of the saints, connections with saints older, 10, 20, 30 years older. And, And this became my church life family, my family. And I believe many of us had the same uh, testimony. We need to pay attention to this. Uh, we didn't, I don't think we got it in time, but uh, we wanted to actually show you a couple of pictures of what was going on on the other side uh, while we're meeting here. Some of the older saints. Did you, did you get it? Oh, you, you got Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Playing checkers. Chess. Oh, chess, sorry, chess. He said he didn't know how to play chess, so he's teaching him how to play chess here. Oh, my goodness. This could go a long way. This could go a long way. Do you have some others? Oh, there we go. That's the other side. Oh, look, look. See, he's pointing. This is what you do. Yeah, Brother Timothy's learning here. Oh, very good. Very good. I think this boy will remember Brother Timothy. Yeah. Okay, next. You have... Oh, there. Oh, okay. More. More chess. Chess seems to be a popular way. Okay. I wouldn't have thought that. Okay. What else? Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. What is it? Candyland. Oh, I haven't played Candyland in a while. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to the uh, survey. But you get the idea, saints. You get the idea. Are we back? Okay. Keep going. You're going? Yeah, I think it's several down, several down. And, mm-hmm. Should be right after this. Okay, right now, uh, yes, this one. No, no, next one, next one, sorry. Yes. Our inability to retain our youth through the pipeline. Five characteristics. They lose their identity as a, as a follower of Jesus. Their value system shaped by the world. This, this is from this group. But I think when we look at our situation among our next generation many of these things we have to admit this has happened okay this is all on the negative side let's go one more because on the pot not one more on the positive side one more okay this and the next one look at this uh, the study sticky faith sticky faith how can we foster in our next generation a faith that sticks with them and these are the things they found out these three things the pattern and care of their parents the ones who said they continued in the Lord a great uh, reason was parents and grandparents the influence of the parents and grandparents but but again not the preaching but the pattern and the care the pattern and the care and then a dynamic personal experience with the Lord before the age of 17. Before the age of 17. It does seem that 16 and 17, it, that's where they decide, I'm going to follow or not. And when those who follow, maybe follow for their whole life at a critical age. Okay. And then, as I mentioned, meaningful intergenerational relationships with five other members of their congregation who are not their parents or 
youth group leaders. Okay, not parents, and this is what we call serving ones, the youth group leaders. Five, very interesting that among these young people, two studies came to the same conclusion. Five connections, five connections whether that's somebody else's parents or their neighbor or some saints who invited them over or somebody's grandpa or five connections. I think, Emmanuel, you, where are you? You told us this statistic, right, of our children's meeting and our average attendance. Five to one, right? Yeah, I, I was blown away when I heard that, that, that at the, uh, you know, at the semi-annual celebration. Oh, saints, saints. It does take a village to raise a child. All of us, all of us need. We just need to know them. We just need to love them. What a strengthening, I know in my family, with our children, what a strengthening to have others who are paying attention to them at critical times in their lives. Because there are times when we cannot reach our own children. Even we tried all of this, we couldn't reach them. But others were there. Others were there as shepherds, as friends, not preachers, and kept them. And then, eventually, we get their hearts at the end. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a, what a blessing to have the church life. But the church life has this potential, but it's not a guarantee. Not all our children end up feeling this way. Oh, we do, we do want to pray for this moving forward that, that the, our children will be drawn into the church life family. Okay, I think that's all that I have. Uh, brothers, if you want to jump in. Or again, open to the saints. Saints? Amen. Please, share your portion. The testimonies before were very helpful. Very helpful. We hope you could feel free to strengthen the word by your experience.